Welcome to ISA's Arborviews podcast, a series bringing you conversations with researchers and tree care experts about current issues in arboriculture. I'm Philip Van Wassener, and I'm your host on this episode of Arborviews. I'm joined now by Dr. Gregory Dahl. Greg received his doctorate from Rutgers University and a Master and Bachelor of Science from Purdue University. He's an ISA board certified master arborist and is developing the Arboriculture and Urban Forestry Program in the Division of Forestry and Natural Resources at West Virginia University. Today we'll be talking on how taper affects bending stress at the base of branches. And Greg, I wanted to welcome you to my hometown, Toronto. It's nice to see you here and we thank you very much for joining us for the interview today. To start out, uh, I know that we're going to talk a lot about branches, but we want to get your perspective on, you know, why is it important to do tree risk assessment? Wow. You know, I, the last couple of years with the advent of the new BMP for tree risk assessment, um, it's really changed when I was a practicing arborist, how we did what we called then hazard tree management and really looking at it in my mind, as my dad kind of taught me a little bit, my dad was an insurance salesman and um, actually my brother and sister are both in that business and they look at things as they assess risk. That's what the insurance industry has been doing for centuries and they're very good at it. And as I look at what we're doing now with tree risk assessments, it's allowing us to take hazard tree management into what industry standard is, is assessing risk, looking at how the potential for failure versus the potential for damage and looking at both pieces of the puzzle and allowing us as arborists to be more objective and say um, it's likely to fail, it's likely to cause damage or some variation of it is less likely or more likely and give us a really a better tool of addressing how much risk is associated with a given tree or given tree part and being more objective, I guess less subjective. Personally, like the uh, the change of focus from hazard tree management, which assumes that almost all, you know a low hazard people, the layperson hears low hazard. So taking that word out until we are in a situation where that really is a hazard, I think is a is a movement forward. Um, so you have been looking specifically at at uh, branches, and so there's a couple of terms. That we are that we see in your research, taper and and bending stresses. Can you relate those two to tree risk assessment in a, in a way for us? I'll start with bending stresses. It's the harder term than taper, at least in my mind. Bending stress, when I'm looking at it as a biomechanic term, stress is not what we think of as physiologically. I'm, I've got a cold, so I'm stressed. Stress in a mechanical term is a load that is applied and how the material is resisting that load. So in this case, wood. Uh, the area of the wood that the load is being applied on is resisting the application of that load. So that's the definition of stress, load over area. So in my mind, stress is, the best way I can say is, if you're a 200, 200 pound person, you're standing on one foot, you're putting 200 pounds per one foot if your area is one foot squared. But if you double the area of your feet and you make it two square feet of area, you now have 100 pounds um, per square foot because you have the same load but more area so you reduce your stress and what my research was looking at is how where would I expect um, mechanically trees to have the highest stress the highest load per unit area and I was um, assuming that taper would have an influence on that and by taper I mean the the diameter or the radius however you want to look at those because they're essentially the same number just divided by two 
looking at the taper, how at the branch attachment point, that taper is, let's say it's 10 inches, just for a 10 inch branch. But if it's two inches away, it's gone down to eight, you have a actually slenderness. Uh, the branch is going to be more slender. Its taper is decreasing. Um, so looking at the taper or the lack thereof of taper around a branch and how that may influence where things fail. So Greg, um, in your work, what kind of patterns did you observe about the point of branch failures? In some of my research and some of when I was a practicing arborist, I, I noticed when I re responded to uh, storm failures that branches were not always failing at what I would have originally thought at the point of attachment where that branch connects to the stem or the, the, the larger branch if it's connecting to a larger branch. And I've chatted with other fellow arborists and they repeat that, uh, that, that saying is that often they do not see fail failures at that point of attachment. And when I was conducting some research on my master's working with an engineer, he had, and I'm going to ruin the, uh, the gentleman's name, but St. Venar, I believe is his name, um, and he developed a principle saying that um, where beams connect to branches, you have a, kind of some strange reactions in that first one to two diameter. So if it's a 10-inch branch within 20 inches, 10 to 20 inches from that point of attachment, is things behave differently. And so I was setting out to look at that, and I'm seeing because of taper, uh, branches are not predicted to fail at their point of attachment if they have reasonable taper. Um, because of the load increasing from the point of, point of loading out farther on the branch, it increases with the moment arm, the distance from that point of attachment to the potential failure location. That increases the amount of loading. But taper decreases in our mathematical formula. Taper comes into the branch radius, which is in the bottom side of our equation. Without getting deep into the equation, that helps reduce the overall bending load or bending stress. Um, so we see that it, what we see in, in real world, mathematically, I can reproduce by looking at the taper of the branch. As, it, as the branch size gets smaller, uh, you start seeing a, um, the, the more taper you have, the further out we see that maximum loading point. Right, so so uh, and I would, I, I've had the good fortune, I did some work with our colleague John Goodfellow yes. on, on branch breaking and it seems to me that I don't think we ever managed to break a branch at the attachment, they always broke somewhere in that, sort of that distance that you're talking about out from the branch but not right at the attachment. Unless you tie in your point of loading and, and testing is really close to that branch attachment point, I in my testing and what I've seen, of other, including John's work, uh, I've not seen very many failures. Occasionally you have that. And if you have an included bark situation, right. of course that that's, um, changes the whole scenario. But a natural, well-developed branch collar is very beneficial to a branch. Seems to be pretty strong structure. Engineers would, as I've talked with engineers, they're amazed that trees do things that they think about well after trees developed them. <laughs> Um, so, uh, when you were doing your work, uh, what species of trees did you focus on when you were looking at this? Opportunistically, we grabbed two or three species uh, that were on campus at WVU at West Virginia University. Um, and we, we wanted to concentrate on hardwoods, but we also wanted to take a look at least one um, conifer tree. So, we, the conifer tree we chose was uh, white pine, which is fairly frequent both in the natural world and in our urban settings throughout the East Coast. Uh, we also looked at pin oak, which again is a fairly frequently planted tree in the cities in um, the East Coast, and then black maple, because uh, we wanted to look at a um, diffused porous wood rather than just solely a uh, like the oak, which is a ring porous wood. 
Okay, so you had um, three pretty different species. Did you um, did you get similar results or different results when you looked at those species? Yes, we got similar, and I was surprised with that. I expected white pine to fail to mathematically look at the highest load of stress to be much further out than I would have expected, uh, or than what we received as far as results. I expected to be further out than both the uh, the hardwood trees. Um, it had a similar taper pattern, and therefore the this maximum stress location was similar. Uh, a little bit out, I don't have all my numbers analyzed, but somewhere between one and a half to two and a half um, times the diameter hmm. uh, within that same range of what I was hoping for. Hmm. So they were <clears throat> they were actually quite similar. So um, you know, in our boar culture, one of our one of our um, mantras, let's say maybe that we try to teach our young arborists is that lion tailing is a poor practice. So uh, can you let us know a little bit from this perspective, you know, how does lion tailing affect the taper of a branch? Lion's tailing is certainly something we've been preaching against and this helps um, just add one more piece of evidence against it. Um, we know from whether it being planting a new tree, we don't want to limit up too fast so that we develop nice taper. Um, the more branches you have lower down on a branch or even a tree trunk, uh, the more radial growth you're going to have between that branch and its beginnings, its point of attachment or the ground level. Um, by removing those branches and putting all the loading out, out to the outside, um, which, you have, which you do when you lion's tail, you're going to have less radial growth, which means you're going to push, um, the, most likely you're going to see the moment or the highest stress loads go more towards the branch attachment, which in my mind would increase the likelihood of failure, and if you do have failure, you're going to have failure that really harms the trunk, which means more opportunities for decay to set into the trunk. So that's lion's tailing. Um, is there any other uh, poor practices in arboriculture that, that, that you could say will have a negative effect on this good taper that, that we're looking for? Um, certainly one thing that pops in my mind is topping, is that we've uh, regularly talked about that you know, the scourge of uh, hat racking trees and topping them. Um, one of the detriments, I've looked at topping and the re-sprouts, the water sprouts that arise after topping, and we know that um, as they're mostly comprised of juvenile wood, they're inherently weaker, um, and that weakness can increase over time. But adding to that weakness, also water sprouts, at least for the first year or two, don't have the same type of taper, and most importantly, don't have the branch collar that you see in a natural lateral branch. Um, so I would say that without that water, or the water spout without having a branch collar, you're gonna see an increase in the propensity for failure in that water sprout. Uh, so topping, at least initially, one more bad point of topping is lack of water sprout, lack of taper. Or right. lack of branch collar, excuse me, lack of taper. So um, with that, you know, we've talked now about a couple of poor practices. So what can we, what can we get from your research to arborists who are practicing in the field? What kind of guidance could this research actually give to them in, in the way that they're pruning trees? One of the things I keep getting excited about is reduction pruning. And as Dr. Gilman started rejuvenating how we've looked at uh, um, reduction pruning, I. I'm becoming to be a larger proponent for reduction. Um, if you're trying to slow down the growth, 
of a of a branch, I think it's better to use that rather than just heading it off, um, because you're still going to get development of the branches, uh, development of taper, development of nice trunk growth or radial growth on the branch itself. Um, yet you're not you shouldn't influence the taper as greatly, and you've shortened down the moment arm, so um, the overall branch will see probably less. Uh, maximum stress loading, which would result in greater propensity for failures. Yeah, it's interesting you should mention that. Um, I think a colleague of ours who you might know, Matt Follett, he's um, working up in in, uh, in Montreal and, and he was telling me today uh, that some of his results, they're not published and finished yet, but what, he's, what they're starting to see is he did a study where he did thinning versus crown reduction and because thinning has also been something that uh, people have talked about over time in our in our trade that thinning could help reduce loading and what they're finding is that uh, that the, uh, the the reduction is has a much less effect on dampening and on increasing sway motion than does thinning so that really sits really well with what you were just talking about i think it i agree with that and i uh, had a chance to see matt's talk and I, heard that direct thing and it, was, it shines in my head as something that's very important. Um, my One of my long-term interests is reduction, or excuse me, uh, restoration pruning after ice storms or even indiscriminate topping. Um, certainly this is a mu restoration pruning is a much different world than a natural branch growing and a natural uh, crown. Um, and we have to do removals of some thinning, so to speak, of certain water sprouts. Um, but the use of reduction pruning to slow down those branches, hopefully to increase taper and possibly have something grow above it that can help develop a branch collar. Um, I think we, we have a chance of really developing a branch with, uh, within reasonable risk of failure that you can feel talking to your manager or your, your um, homeowner that I feel more comfortable with a, a lower risk of failure of these trees long term. And I had one more question because you know both of us have had the uh, opportunity to work with uh, Tree Biomechanics Week, mm -hmm. and as you know, uh, through some serendipitous uh, events, we've we've hooked up with some of the scientists from NASA, and um, I had a chance to to work on a research project last year at the Morton Arboretum. But I understand, if I'm not correct, that you have uh, are starting to embrace that technology for your research. Is that correct? That is very correct. I. Hopefully I'm embracing it. I've purchased an Aramis system um, and next week I'll be using it the tree biomechanics uh, workshop and week in, uh, in Shalerville in Ohio and I've done one trial with it. I've not had a chance to analyze the data but um, we're going to be looking at some of that data next week and collecting more data um, and funny as you mentioned the Morton Arboretum, uh, Jake Miesbauer who's just taken up shop there uh, he and I keep talking about how we can make use of my Aramis system and his skills and uh, it's this exciting time um, to make use of this what we call space age technology realistically just utilizing some strong software and computer hardware and camera system to really hopefully open up our knowledge on tree mechanics. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. Maybe, you know, because I know about how that mm. technology works, maybe you could just quickly Tell us um, how what what does that technology enable us to do? It's a high-speed camera system. It utilizes two cameras that will capture movement of materials. 
So um, when we look at strain, which is similar to stress, strain is the me measurement of the deformation of a material. If you bend a branch, uh, the fibers, especially on the outside, either get, get become closer together when you bend it down on the bottom side because they're compressing, or on the top side, if you're bending down, they're pulling apart. With this high-speed camera, I can, um, and some of the NASA scientists have been using it to look at branches as well and trees, you can measure the movement of that tissue. So we can start understanding uh, biomechanically and material properties how that, that tissue is moving. Uh, that's what I'm going to be doing initially, but other work such as what they did at the Morton is trying to look, and in previous work in Ohio, we can use it to measure the way trees sway in the wind and look at the vectors or the direction and the amplitude and the magnitude, more importantly, of how that is moving, how fast it's moving in what direction and how quickly it dampens or how quickly it comes back to becoming still in the air. Um, and it'll allow us to pick up a lot of that information and um, start doing some more practical tests and some more heavy scientific tests. Well, great. I'm, I'm glad you could tell us a bit more about that. I, I have been very lucky to, to see how that technology works, and I'm, I'm really happy to see that you know, you've been able to embrace it and, and take it forward into, into our tree world. And um, we look forward to some of the results of that work and, and can't thank you enough for coming in for this interview today. So thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. It's been fun.